Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark 10, verses 17 to 31. And as he was setting up on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Grace DC. Glenn Hoberg here, one of the pastors in the Grace DC Network. And I'm glad to be with you today to continue our journey through the book of Mark in the New Testament. Sometimes there's a change we want to make, but we underestimate what it will take to make the change. We're not realistic about it. For instance, maybe we'd like to get in better shape. And all we think is to back off a little bit on some sweets and maybe I'll just go out and run a little bit for 10 minutes, a couple times a week, when really what we need is a group of friends that are gonna push us beyond our normal physical limits or a visit to Dr. CrossFit, uh, our own Irwin Ince. Or maybe the area you want change uh, is debt. And your thought is, well, I'll just use my credit card less and try not to buy as much coffee when I'm out. When really what we need is something more radical, like I need to move out of my place and move in with some roommates, or I need to drive this clunker for a long time. There, the change depends on really the depth of commitment. But there's other sorts of changes that really um, depend upon our proximity meaning uh, we won't really change until we leave something behind, till we, as our passage said last week, to cut it off from us. It may be um, a job that's bringing out the worst in me. It may be, be a, a social media outlet that just produces anxiety and anger in me. It may be a relationship, a dating relationship, that's leading me to drift further and further away 
from God. Or maybe it's luxury and possessions, like the man in this passage. Many times we think we can reason with sin. We can manage it out of our lives. When what we really need to do is to flee, to leave it behind. Why? Because that thing has become, in Jesus' words, the one thing. The one thing in our life that is functioning like a, a small g God. It has become our go-to, our lifeboat, our daydream. And the only way for us to get free from it is to get apart from it. And that in this passage is the opportunity that a rich young man has, that Jesus gives to him, and yet he refuses. Jesus gives him the opportunity to be free from uh, the idols of his wealth and possessions. And here he sits before, or rather kneels before, the God of abundance, the uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, the provider, the owner of the storehouse of heaven, the key to the treasury of heaven right before him. And yet he goes away sad and doesn't follow Jesus. How does that happen? Well, the same way it does in our own lives. But we do have an advantage. The book of Romans says that everything that has been written in the Bible was written so that we might have endurance and hope. So this man's account has been passed along to us that we might escape his fate and that we might find and follow Jesus. And in particular, see three things about Jesus that I want to uh, draw our attention to. And that is that he sees, he loves, and he gives. Let's look at these three things in the context of this passage. First of all, Jesus, he sees. This past fall, Meg and I uh, watched the South Korean rom-com Crash Landing on You. And there's a scene in the series, as it's going along, where uh, the heroine, uh, Yoon Seti's life is in danger. And uh, I won't tell you why, because my daughter always says, Dad, you ruin things when you do sermon illustrations. So I'm going to leave it general and leave it vague. But uh, her life is threatened. And when her beau finds out, uh, Lee Chong-ho, and I'm asking anybody that speaks Korean to show me grace right now, uh, he runs. He runs down the block. He bursts into the building. He runs through the lobby. He runs up the stairs past the security. Now, if I'd only shown you that scene of the series, you would say, man, this guy is sincere. This guy is devoted to this woman. Well, I'm sure Jesus' disciples and those around felt the same thing about this young man. Mark tells us just as about Jesus is going to take off or go journey, this man comes running. I'm sure he's saying, wait, 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 don't leave. He runs up. He's breathless. He's likely sweating. And not only that, he kneels before Jesus. Now, Luke tells us this man was not only rich, but he was a ruler, which meant he held some sort of religious office in Israel. So you have a man of status and a man that has possessions, and he's not afraid to hit the dirt and kneel before Jesus. 
More so, unlike the other religious leaders that take every opportunity to insult Jesus and curse Jesus, this man calls him good teacher. He shows him reverence. And to top it all off, he asks a good question. I mean, oftentimes we're reading the Gospels and Jesus gets such wrong-headed questions, but this guy asks, one's, asks one right on the point, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You have to imagine that those around thought, whoa, this is one sincere, humble, wise, reverent person that wants to follow Jesus. And yet Jesus sees something else. The word that Mark gives us, that Jesus looked at him, means more than just glanced at him. It means to uh, gaze intently at, to examine, to study. Jesus is looking inside of him, inside of his heart and soul. And immediately he begins to challenge the man's sincerity, humility, reverence, wisdom. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now here Jesus is likely baiting the man. Uh, in Israel, every faithful believer knew that God alone was good. So it's as if Jesus is saying to him, uh, now do you believe I'm good in a God sense or just good like any other teacher or good like you? And then he continues on. He says, well, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Jesus highlights easy wins for the man. Things that uh, could only be uh, discerned from the outside, outward behavior. And yet he does slip in, do not defraud. And at that point, the man may have had a little pause. Maybe his face fell. Defraud means to swindle or to take advantage of. And many times its meaning in the Bible means to exploit the poor for your own advantage and wealth. The man was probably familiar with a proverb that says, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. This may be the reason that Jesus directs him to sell his possessions to the poor, because in fact, it may be this man was gaining wealth by exploiting the poor. Now, this isn't a command that Jesus gives to everybody. We see in the book of Mark, uh, he calls people to leave different things. For instance, his disciples, when they first meet him, he asks them to forsake or commands them to forsake the family business that they had built up, their security. Or Matthew, his corrupt ways as a tax collector. Or just recently in our study, uh, the disciples' distorted view of Jesus as their personal political deliverer. He's asking them to give it up. And for this particular man, he asks, uh, or rather commands, uh, this man of wealth, you must give up these things. But Jesus also adds, for all of us, a double warning about the incredible temptations to wealth. Uh, wealth, many times, offers us everything that we would normally look to God for. Uh, a sense of security, a sense of worth, a sense of freedom, a sense of safety. It's a great temptation. And apart from the supernatural power of God, Jesus says, the chance that those that are wealthy and want more and more wealth 
the chance of them entering the kingdom is like a camel going through the eye of a needle. Zero. So while everyone is called to that, Jesus discerns in this man it's a particular spiritual threat to him. It's actually a uh, huge area of bondage and wickedness and darkness in this man's life, so much so that it would rob him of eternal life. So how does this guy then live his life blind to it? How does he not see it? Well, the passage gives us some indication. He diverts his attention by placing it on his religious obedience and faithfulness. That's what he uses to distract himself, to justify, to cover it. This is um, a temptation to us all, but particularly, particularly for those in uh, professional ministry. I can say that as a pastor. Uh, this past year, sadly, we heard of another uh, story where uh, Rabbi Zacharias, the late Rabbi Zacharias, who died back in May, uh, a great teacher and apologist in the Christian church, was found to uh, be involved in sexual misconduct in some massage places that he owned in the way that he was uh, manipulating the workers there to his own benefit, often saying to them, it's okay if you engage in this with me because uh, the Lord knows uh, I'm under a great stress. The Lord says it's okay because I, I need comfort and I need release. And at first, the family and the organization just couldn't, they denied the allegations. They just couldn't imagine, as all of us, many of us thought, how could this be? It's sobering for even the best of us, the most sincere of us and devoted us. It's possible for us to divert our attention from that one thing that is out to steal life from us and to cover over top of it other acts of service and faithfulness. You know, it's seldom anyone says, uh, Jesus, I don't want to follow you, at least in the professing world in the church. Isn't it more, Jesus, I want to follow you, but don't make me give up this. Jesus, I want to follow you, follow you but don't make me give up uh, the, the health and safety of my family. I want to follow you, Jesus, but don't make me give up the respect that I've earned in my career and the steps that I've taken. Uh, Jesus, I want to follow you, but don't make me give up cultural dominance. These past weeks, as there's been quite a bit of analysis around the insurrection at the Capitol, uh, one of the things become clear, you know, since the beginning of this nation, uh, white people have operated with a false belief that America belongs to them, that they're the rightful owners and heirs of America. And of course, you heard those things echoed through uh, some of the insurrectionists. But the reason I bring it up, because there's a dynamic at play in this passage that applies to it. Because you, as you saw, some of the insurrectionists both hold signs about their faith or maybe even participate in a prayer in the Senate. You saw two things together, following Jesus, but at the same time clinging to this other one thing. I will follow you, Jesus, but I will not give up 
racial and cultural supremacy or political supremacy. It's frightening how these things can mingle and mix in our heart. And so each of us needs to uh, ask the Lord to see us. As the psalm would say, Lord, uh, search me and know me. Test me. Show me if there's any offensive way in me. In the case of the rich young man, Jesus does this not because he wants to shame him, but because he desires to love him, which is the second point. He sees us. He loves us. The same word, again, that's used to say that Jesus looked intently, examined, gazed at him, also pertains to the phrase that Jesus loved him. Here's this man that comes uh, boasting in his obedience, boasting in his faith, faithfulness, but completely covering up this huge area of immorality and unfaithfulness. And Jesus sees that hypocrisy. Make no mistake about it. Jesus sees it. He sees the arrogance. He sees the greed, but he loves him. He loves him. And herein lies the hope for you and I and that one thing that seeks to steal eternal life from us, and that is Jesus looking at us as we are and loving us. Now, something is, uh, I, I think, a little uh, reverse here than what we might expect. We might think the way to freedom for this man, the way forward, is he needs to increase his love for God. And of course, that's true, but I want you to notice that's not the emphasis here. The challenge before the man is not to love Jesus more, but rather to receive the love of Jesus for him. That's the challenge he has. It's not just go sell everything. It's come and be with me. Walk in the light of my love. Be in the presence of of my company. Make your song the song of another psalm. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Jesus is inviting this man to walk with him and gaze upon his beauty, to be in his company. What makes an object pale in its beauty? Well, when you're before an object of greater beauty, this man who's enthralled with possessions and the status that he has, if he would only walk with Jesus, those things would begin to pale. If he'd only come to know the love of Jesus. And this is the case for you and I, my friends. Uh, in his book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, uh, Dane Ortland. Uh, tells the account in 1740 when the great theologian of America, the brilliant theologian of America, Jonathan Edwards, desired to teach and preach a sermon to the young children in his church, and some, you know, e even the teenagers, that group of people in his church. He wanted to teach them and preach to them. Uh, so he gave them probably a 15, 20-minute sermon, which in those days would have been a short one. And uh, he desires, he says, the reason he wants to teach this is because he desires that the children would love Jesus above all else. And listen to the first point that he makes. You can follow along on the screen. This is the first thing he says to them. There is no love so great 
and so wonderful is that which is in the heart of Christ. He is one that delights in mercy. He is ready to pity those that are in suffering and sorrowful circumstances. One that delights in the happiness of his creatures. The love and the grace that Christ has manifested does as much exceed all that which is in this world as the sun is brighter than a candle. Parents are often full of kindness toward their children, but that is no kindness like Jesus Christ. As in the passage before, uh, we're instructed, we must come like children to Jesus. This rich man must come like a child to Jesus. In the first order of business as a child is to receive the love of Jesus, to take it in and be warmed by it. But to do that, we have to be saturated with those words of love, saturated with the scripture. One of the problems that we have is uh, we try to be convinced of the love of God without the words of God. And so what we're left with are just sort of vague thoughts in our mind or impressions, or worse, maybe what the world's version of that love would be. But my friends, unless we are hearing the strong voice, the strong loving voice of our God in the dark and secret places of our lives, we won't ever be free. Words like these, and I want to read these to you, and, and maybe you would just uh, be quiet. Maybe you'd even close your eyes right now as I read these verses. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. And then lastly, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. My friends, that's the sort of love. That's the sort of love that will dwarf the one thing in your life that's threatening you to follow Jesus. It's those words. We need to hear them. Bring them into the places of your life that you're hiding. Bring them into your life and meditate on them rather than your faithfulness and your works before God. But there's something else that God does. He not only sees through Jesus, he not only loves through Jesus, but he gives. Now, when the disciples hear Jesus say how hard it is for wealthy people to enter the kingdom, it says that they are not just astonished, but exceedingly astonished. They see this pious man, this faithful man, who's also a wealthy man, miss out on the kingdom of God. And it shakes them. And uh, their minds immediately go to, well, us, what we did. And Peter says, well, we've given up everything. And Jesus uh, doesn't rebuke them. He reminds them of God's power, of his supernatural power, what's impossible with men, possible with God. 
But you know what else? He gives them something very tangible. One of the things I love about the God of the Bible is he doesn't treat you and I as uh, naked souls. He doesn't treat us just as sort of uh, ethereal, spiritual creatures that just survive on spiritualisms. There's a lot of spirituality that will approach us like that, and it really dehumanizes. But God understands that you and I are uh, living in the flesh and blood, living in the world, living in community. And so he gives us a tangible expression. One of the ways that God shows the riches of his love is through the riches of his saints. We find this uh, in the book of Ephesians when the Apostle Paul prays, I pray that the, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to know the hope to which you've been called. But then he says that you might come to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, what, what's that doing? It's making an amazing observation that although you and I uh, find ourselves more sinful and flawed before God than we ever imagined. And although you and I find ourselves, you know, cold-hearted to God often, God looks upon his people. Even though you and I don't value God as we should, he looks upon us as a treasured possession. His people are his rich inheritance. In fact, for Jesus, for all his sweat and death and the punishment and the atonement and the wrath he takes, his gift is you and I, those that follow him. And so Jesus uh, tells them that uh, the disciples, uh, part of walking with Jesus will be seeing the treasure of that possession. He says to them, as you go off and do your ministry, what you're going to discover is people that follow me are going to open their homes to you as if they were your own. They're going to share their belongings delightfully with you. They're going to give you the better portion. They're going to sacrifice financially. They're even going to risk their lives for you. These are the mothers and brothers and the family and the land that you're going to find. And yeah, you know, we're going to still suffer persecutions. But Jesus also gives us a view forward and says in one day, those persecutions will be gone and we will just delight in the family of God as we should be. This inheritance of uh, a tribal cross, uh, rather a cross-cultural, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, people together. And that very thing for the disciples will be a reminder to them of the inheritance that they've been given. Um, the other day, uh, the Grace Downtown elders met and had a meeting, and we started off with uh, the question, how is God, how are you seeing God at work in our community? And it was such, it was a, it was a treasure-finding time just to see uh, the beauty of the people of God. You know, one story was, well, there was a new couple that has come into our community, and this is a tough time to transition into a church, Right? A tough time to be able to come in. And so the word got out, could people greet them? There were probably five or six different people that reached out. Now I'm probably worried that they feel like they're being stalked. But hey, better the first than the latter, right? Uh, that they feel like they're loved. Or the story of a, a family in our church where the husband got COVID, the wife is pregnant. How are they going to get groceries? People come to that place. 
in those moments, I come to know God's love for me. Listen, you and I will never defeat our idols and never conquer the one thing that seeks to steal the treasures of heaven from us by ourselves. Never do it. You might sit there and pray in a room by yourself. And I hope, yes, to use the Bible. But that Bible will have to point you at some point to your need for the community of God. No one will be able to walk that walk in isolation. And they weren't meant to. One of the gifts that we were given is the inheritance of the people of God. And so, uh, it's a high challenge to follow Jesus. And you and I... Um, Maybe it's uh, lots of little things and one big thing that competes. But the promise we get is that the Lord himself sees you. He loves you and he gives to you. Will you follow him? Let's pray. We thank you, Jesus, for your great compassion, even on this man. And we pray that uh, well, the story's already written, but we hope one day uh, maybe we'll see him because he had a change of heart. But this is our time. And Lord, you know, uh, each of us is so vulnerable. Uh, even if we share those one thing temptations, they, they come at us differently. Lord, would you please give us your spirit that we could receive your love? that we can know that you see us, that we would um, embrace the gift of the community you've given and help us to follow you another week in Christ's name.